Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex River, BTN.com, and this is yet another football-focused edition of this podcast. If you haven't been listening, we've been doing these nearly every week throughout the college football season. We get BTN.com's Tom Deanhart on the line and bring in a national college football analyst as well to help put Big Ten football in perspective. So that's exactly what we're doing again today. And last week when Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com joined us, we had some technical problems and were unable to conference Tom in as we normally do. But good news, this week we got it figured out and got Tom back on alongside our national analyst. And this week, the national guest is Mike Huguenin, who runs gridironnow.com. He goes way back with Tom to their days at the Sporting News and at Yahoo. So the three of us had a really productive discussion where we kind of took stock of where the Big Ten stands now that two of its premier teams took devastating losses this past weekend. So it was not a good week if you were solely hoping the Big Ten gets a college football playoff bid and also if you've been following the show closely you know we have pretty much tried to get these out on Wednesdays consistently but with the college football playoff polls coming out Tuesday nights we decided to push our taping schedule to Wednesday morning meaning likely we'll be pushing these football focused episodes to either Thursday morning or if we turn around quick Wednesday evening for the remainder of the football season so We'll get to this episode with Mike Huguenin momentarily, as well as our weekly stat head segment with Harold Shelton that we do after our discussion with Tom and Mike. But first, just a couple of quick reminders. Uh, number one, please continue to listen and subscribe to Take 10 Podcast if you haven't already. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts on iTunes, on Google Play, and on Podbean as well. And if you like the show, please leave a rating and review. And also, one more reminder... We do have a coupon code that is still valid on our btn.com shop that allows you to take 10% off your order with the code TAKE10, that is T-A-K-E-1-0, all caps. And again, this is on the btn.com shop or store. You can click the shop tab on desktop and store tab if you're on mobile. Um, you know, we're getting to the end of football season, early basketball season now, starting Friday, and that means it's also holiday season. So get your holiday shopping done through btn.com under the store tab and use that coupon code to get the discount on all the best team apparel decorations memorabilia and everything that that online shop has to offer so once again that's t-a-k-e-1-0 to take 10 percent off and now we will get to our discussion our football focus episode with mike huganin I am very pleased to be joined. Once again, we got Tom Deanhart back on the line uh, after some technical difficulties last week. He is back and um, joining us for our national perspective this week is Mike Huguenin. He's a writer at gridironnow.com, a uh, college football expert who has written at many p- different publications. Um, check him out, at, like I said, at gridironnow.com. Mike, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me on. And I'm, uh, I've known Tom for about uh, 20-something years. Uh, and despite uh, him knowing me, he's done extremely well for himself. <laughs> How about I that? Telling Alex, I was telling Alex, I think I owe my, I owe my entire career to you, Hugh. So, I don't, you I know, don't I'm like always you. indebted to you. And uh, like I said, it's always fun tapping into your knowledge and expertise. I told Alex, I don't, I've never met anybody with the depth of knowledge and passion you have for the sport. So thanks again for joining us. No, I'm looking. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, is going to be fun, I think. And yeah, last weekend was a f- entertaining one. And I think this one could be even more entertaining. I mean, two huge weekends, 
early in November, if you're a college football fan, this is the time of season you live for because this is basically we're in playoff mode already because teams know if they lose now, um, they're either hurting themselves greatly or they're out of the picture. Yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, last weekend. I mean, if, if you're a Big Ten fan who just wants to see a team get in the playoff, maybe it wasn't so fun, but the drama that unfolded was uh, was really uh, enthralling to watch. And we'll start off, we usually start off with some uh, initial impressions, just some a quick synopsis of what you guys saw uh, in the week that was in college football. So we'll start with you, Tom, and we'll keep it in-house in the Big Ten. Obviously, there's a ton, of talk, ton to talk about, but if you could condense it maybe to, to a uh, short snippet, Give me a reaction to it, to what we just saw in the Big Ten. Utter chaos, I guess. I mean, uh, a couple of results nobody really probably could have envisioned, especially the 55-24 to 24 Iowa takedown of Ohio State in Kinnick Stadium. Maybe we should have seen it, guys, given the history Iowa's had here for knocking off highly ranked teams there in Iowa City. But still, the manner in which they, they crushed the Buckeyes was a shock. And then, of course, shift your focus eastward toward East Lansing. And... Uh, one of the most surprising teams in America, the Michigan State Spartans, keep keep springing uh, again surprises, and uh, two losses in a row now for Penn State. They're basically out of it. And Michigan State guys, if you can believe it, never thought I'd say this back in August. But Michigan State controls its own destiny in the Big Ten East. Yeah, it was wild, and and you know just with the weather and going on in East Lansing and the blowout in Iowa City, it was just all kind of it all kind of came crashing down on. Uh, Saturday afternoon there. So, Mike, um, using the Big Ten, putting it in, in the context of the larger picture, give me your reaction to, to what unfolded in, in Week Ten. Yeah, I think the, the results last week in the Big Ten mean Wisconsin is, is the Big Ten's only legit playoff contender. Uh, I was surprised that Miami won over Virginia Tech and absolutely shocked that they manhandled the Hokies. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State was entertaining um, Baker Mayfield, I think, stamped himself as the leading Heisman contender, uh, a game with zero defense. Um, I like offensive football, but even that, <laughs> it, it was a little sickening because <laughs> a little over the top. Like, yeah, it was like a seven-on-seven game in the summer. Um, you know, absolutely no defense whatsoever. Mayfield throws for almost 600 yards. That, that's, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, if, if, if he does that against Kansas, uh, okay, that's fine. You, if you're Oklahoma State and you get thrown 600 yards on you, that, that's embarrassing. Um, but, again, I think Miami uh, jumped ahead of Wisconsin in this week's playoff uh, rankings, and, and Kirby Hocutt basically said Miami's schedule uh, is more impressive than Wisconsin's. And I think that's the one thing Wisconsin has to worry about. That said, if Wisconsin's unbeaten at the end of the season, um, they're, they're going to be in the playoff, and I think that they are the lone Big Ten team with a legit chance now. Yeah, agreed. I think they'll get in if they if they go unbeaten no matter what. Uh, I, I tweeted when it happened when Oklahoma State gave up, I think, like 785 yards that Gundy should have to cut his mullet in shame just for that <laughs> performance because yeah, you can't rock a mullet like that if, if you're getting you know teams running up and down the field on you. Yeah, and the, the, the narrative in the Big 12, I, I think, is, is sort of humorous. Well, the, the, the Big 12 teams don't play defense. And, you, and the Big 12 coaches get irritated, and then a huge marquee game, and, and they don't play any defense. Now, <laughs> Oklahoma TCU this week could be vastly different, but I don't think there's any team nationally that's scared to go against a Big 12 defense. Now, they are worried about Big 12 offenses, um, and those, those are impressive offenses. But again, in a rivalry game of that magnitude and, and a game of that kind of importance to give up 
You got shredded for 62 points, and you said like almost 800 yards. And Oklahoma State's a good team. That that's 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 embarrassing and should not happen. Yeah, it was like a hey, game Mike, of Madden. Hey, 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 Mike, real quick. Uh, you and Alex seem convinced a 13 and 0 Big Ten champ Wisconsin team's in. Just to be a devil's advocate, I mean, what happens if these top four teams hold serve? I know Georgia, Alabama would play in the SEC title game, but let's play real quick. What if? Okay, uh, yeah, I think they, 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 now they, they meet in Atlanta, unbeaten, 17-14 Alabama win, and then Notre Dame wins out, Clemson wins out. So, and, and so you're going to say 13 low Wisconsin is going to jump into the top four? I think they would. Uh, I think at that point, who, who goes out? Would, who, uh, the, who the loser out? of the SEC, the loser of the SEC championship game. Um, okay. You know, I, I my website is is very SEC centric. The SEC is not good. It has two elite teams, and then a bunch of well, there's garbage at the bottom, and I think there's some competent teams, maybe three through five. Um, LSU might be the third best team in the league. LSU lost at home to Troy, for God's sake. So, um, <laughs> and Alabama's best win is LSU. Florida ran for more yards on LSU than Alabama did. I think this Alabama team um, is certainly a talented team uh, in terms of sheer talent. Um, they're not a very good team throwing the ball. Um, they're down four linebackers. They lost Sean Deion Hamilton for the season. This is not as good a defense as it was last year. It's a long-winded way of me saying that Alabama is beatable, certainly. Uh, Georgia, they, they beat Notre Dame. They're hanging their hat on that. That was an impressive win. We're going to find out a heck of a lot more about Georgia and Alabama this month. This week you got Georgia and Auburn. you got Alabama and Auburn. you got Alabama-Mississippi State this week. I think the loser of the SEC championship game especially if Wisconsin is unbeaten, Notre Dame wins out, and Clemson wins out. I think the loser of the SEC championship game uh, is out of the playoff. Yeah, that's, that's kind right. of the doomsday scenario that you laid out there, Tom, because you know then at least one team that is probably deserving is going to be left out, probably more than that. Uh, I'm going to shift it back now to some Big Ten talk from what we saw this past weekend. Um, obviously, a couple, of, a couple of upsets and teams uh, performing – you know, not exactly how we expected it before the season uh, with MSU and Iowa. So we'll start with Michigan State, Tom. I mean, just on a grand scale, how about the job that Mark D'Antonio has done? Because, I mean, this is this has got to be Coach of the Year stuff right here, right? Well, no doubt about it. You know, um, we were there this, this August, Alex, on that bus tour, and there were a lot of questions hanging over the Spartans coming off a 3-9 and nine season, just one Big Ten win. But, you know what, worst of all, there were off-field issues for Michigan State. You sort of wondered – which direction the program was going to go uh, was on a slippery slope. Uh, and again, I, when I looked at the schedule, I thought, hey, this, this may be a 6-16 six and 16 best-case scenario. Well, we'll look at them now. Again, um, they're rolling in control of their own destiny in Columbus, Ohio this weekend. You're right, D'Antonio is easily, the, I think, the Big Ten coach of the year probably right now, certainly in the, 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 top, in the thick of the race. And uh, you know what? Uh, it's going to be fun to see. Uh, we'll watch sophomore quarterback Ryan Lewerke he's a rising star now he talked about Iowa real quick they have a sophomore quarterback named Nate Stanley so two uh, I think rising talents under center for for both Michigan State and Iowa yeah Michigan State I mean they jumped 12 spots last night in the, in the playoff that's the most anyone's jumped in the poll since it was created um and and if they'd just beaten Northwestern in, in that crazy overtime game I mean who knows how high they'd be right now uh I'm gonna shift it to Iowa and throw it over to you Mike uh, 
just kind of a general question. Like, have you can you think back and remember ever seeing a game like that where a team came off such a high, like Ohio State did a beating Penn State, and rolled in to an away environment where you know it's a tough place to play, but the smackdown that Iowa put on put on Ohio State. Have you ever seen anything like that? No, it was. I think it was the either the Cedar Rapids paper or the Des Moines paper talked about you know woodshed Iowa, and it, that was that was a butt kicking of the utmost degree. And as Tom pointed out, the Worky and Stanley vastly outplayed the much more publicized opposing quarterback. Barrett was not good at all. McSorley was mediocre. Um, quarterback play was important, and Iowa. And Michigan State got the better quarterback play, which is shocking. And also shocking, Iowa comes in off a very who-cares performance against Minnesota. They come in off a overtime loss at Northwestern. And you're thinking, okay, Ohio State wins this game by 10, even if they don't play a great game. And instead, they get blown out. And frankly, they were embarrassed. And it it was an impressive uh, victory by Iowa. I've been to three games in Iowa City in my life. I think people underestimate the atmosphere for big games. The fans are right there on the field, basically. And once Iowa gets the momentum, the crowd's loud, it's raucous. Uh, And Iowa, I think, fed off the crowd, uh, took advantage of Barrett's mistakes. And, you know, Kirk Ferentz, um, he gets criticized for being conservative at times, but, man, they they did some cool stuff on, on Saturday. And, again, that was a epic beatdown of a team that was in the national title discussion. And I think now it's hard for me to fathom that an Ohio State team that lost that big has any chance at all getting back in the playoff hunt. I think they're, I think they're toast because of that loss. Hey, yeah, Mike, and- hey, Mike, 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 think about this. Last ten games, we've seen Ohio State not just get beat, but get eviscerated. 31 nothing to Clemson. Champion of the playoff playoff last year, right? Thirty-one to sixteen at home to Oklahoma, and now this against Iowa. I mean, uh, you wonder if, if if this is a symptom of something greater, or maybe what's going on with with Urban Meyer's crew over, you know, in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, it's it, it is sort of staggering considering the amount of talent Ohio State has. Yep. Um, you know, Barrett goes from playing out of his mind in the fourth quarter against Penn State to playing horribly against Iowa. He got outdueled by Mayfield when they played Oklahoma. Um, and then you look at Ohio State, who they've beaten outside of Penn State. They haven't beaten anybody. And I live in Florida, and there are Florida fans who, you know, don't like Meyer, uh, even though he won two national titles for him, who say, wow, this is his sixth year at Ohio State. Gee, it started going bad in his sixth year at Florida. Um, now, you know, Meyer is an intense guy. Um, he recruits like a madman. Um, I don't think there's anything. I don't think Ohio State's going to slide into the abyss that Florida has fallen into. But th- yeah, this week's game for Ohio State, I-, I think, is a referendum of sorts on the program direction. Ohio State is more talented than Michigan State. They are more talented than Illinois. They are more talented than Michigan. They should win out, and I think they're more talented than Wisconsin. But if they lose this week, I, I think it is legit to say something is wrong in, in Columbus. Yeah, and... You know, you mentioned the atmosphere at Kinnick Stadium, and I, I think the, you know, the, the idea of some sort of like Kinnick magic that that people throw out, you know, that I think that's overblown to a to a degree because you know there's obviously something about that Kirk Ferentz and his staff does over the years, re- repeated over and over, that gets their team up for big games and, and prepares them 
pretty much as well as anybody has that would be considered an underdog in big games. But you're right. The you know when you're on the field there, the fans are right on top of you, and the energy that the, the players can can draw from the fans. I mean, it's you can feel it as a, as, a, as a visitor there, and that's the one game I, I went to there. It was a uh, it was a packed house, and I was, I was on the field, and it's it's uh, pretty unique in college football. So, um, moving on to actually, I'm going to stick on JT Barrett for a second because I, you know, Tom, we talk about him pretty much every week on this podcast, and how you know either we're asking what's wrong with him or we're saying how happy we are for him because he seems to figure it out, and, and I just feel so bad for him because. You know, it seemed like this guy was going to have the storybook ending after the game against Penn State. You know, he he threw the four touchdowns, had the Heisman-worthy performance, and it looked like this guy was going to go to New York and take his team back to the college football playoff. And now, in, you know, a week's time, he's pretty much fallen off the pedestal, fallen off the mountaintop. Tom, you know, can, can JT come back from this legacy-wise? And, you know, where do you go from here if you're him and, and Ohio State? Best thing you can do is, is, is you know, win out and, and lead Ohio State to the Big Ten Championship. It's all still there. They can still do that, which will obviously bolster his resume and send him out on a high note. You're a great leader, a uh, great person. But, again, I wonder if, if, if Barrett hasn't been impacted by just the turnover on that offensive staff there under him. You know, Tom Herman, of course, was the offensive coordinator for that title team in, in 2014. He leaves for, uh, for Texas. And then Tim Beck and Ed Warner take over, and that turned out to be disastrous. And now he's got Kevin Wilson calling his shot. So maybe I'd like to think some of his issues have, have just been that the tumult, <clears throat> the turnover on the offensive staff there. And, and again, um, I still also wonder about the quality of wide receivers there too. Uh, some nice players, but guys, there's no David Boston or Joey Galloway or, or Ted Ginn on that, on that uh, wide receiving core. It really hasn't been since the 2014 team. So, Again, I think the turnover on the staff and the lack of really top-end wide receivers have really sort of hurt Barrett. Yeah, it's cruel because, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter. Fans just want to see their team win, but it seemed like it was all right there for a guy like JT Barrett who's been through a lot, been there forever, and then after, you know, a week ago we were sitting here saying, man, this guy, you know, it's all set up for him, and um, it just shows in college football how things can turn. Uh, Mike? I'm going to uh, shift it over to another team that has seen every the kind of the rug pulled out from them within the last two weeks, and that's Penn State. I mean, you think back to when they were leading 35 to 20 in the horseshoe over Ohio State. It looked like they were unstoppable. You know, Barkley had the opening kickoff, and they looked electric pretty much. And not to make excuses for them, but it's pretty much a quarter that they fell asleep for uh, in Columbus, and then the next week. They come in, they're, they're beating Michigan State, and then there's a three-hour weather delay, and they come back out of the break and, and get stomped by Michigan State. So, you know, really, it's it's five quarters of, of weird football, and the dream's pretty much dead for them. I mean, I, what, are you, what are you thinking right now if you're a Penn State fan, Mike? Yeah, you've lost two games by a total of four points. And the fact, you know, I'll be honest, I can, if I'm a fan, I can accept the loss of 10, 14, okay, they're better than us. Uh, I still think if, if Penn State played Ohio State ten times, each team would win five. I think if Penn State played Michigan State ten times, I think Penn State would win seven or eight. I think Penn State's better. Both those games being on the road, I think, was bothersome. But you're right, I think the weather delay hurt Penn State. Um, they should blow out Rutgers, Nebraska, and Maryland. Sit there at 10-2. and two. They're going to go to a good bowl. But I think at, at the end of the season, James Franklin, Saquon Barkley, McSorley, Everybody associated with the program is going to look back and go, we were four points away 
from being a perfect season and playing in the playoffs. And that means that there's one or two plays in those two games that, that cost Penn State. And that's, I think that, that's the kind of stuff that eats at you for a while. And if you're a Penn State fan, okay, Barkley's not coming back next year. Um, what's going to happen? And I think when a season does not totally meet your expectation, it, the, it's human nature to look ahead and you wonder, wow, we, we were, everything was in place this year and maybe this was it for a while. Yeah, it's brutal for them, and I think there's something to be said that, you know, they had Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State back-to-back-to-back. Exactly. And Michigan was a cakewalk, but, you know, you still have to – the amount of prep that goes into that, whether James Franklin wants to admit or not, you know, there's extra pressure on a game like that, and then you – it grows exponentially once you have to do it again for Ohio State and then do it again for Michigan State. So after playing not much of anybody the first six, seven weeks of the season, you know, I can see how things would, you know, snowball and – by the thinnest margins for them now their season is, is not what uh what everyone in state college had hoped you know coming in and just looked like they were headed towards just a couple weeks ago um yeah, not what it, right not not what it could have been again you're you're four points away from sitting there at nine and zero, and penn state at nine and zero would be third in the in the playoff rankings exactly um, I still think well. I still think Penn State's going to be pretty good next year, guys. Even without Barkley, they got some really good backs behind him. Miles Sanders probably could start for eight or nine Big Ten teams. McSorley's going to be back. Those receivers, most of the defense. Uh, the one well, the issue for those guys is the offensive line, fellas. It's a it's just the one area that's still lagging there in State College, PA. And plus, they lost Ryan Bates in that Ohio State game, the best lineman to injury. So that's the group that's really let them down. So. Maybe another recruiting class or two will get that up to a really elite uh, unit up front. Yeah. Um, so, guys, I'm going to shift it now to the college football playoff rankings that came out last night. Um, Tom, you know we usually do a stock sliding, stock soaring segment, and we're going to package that in with the college football playoff rankings this week now that those are out. So, Tom, I'm going to have you go through uh, and name a couple teams in the Big Ten one whose stock is sliding and one who's is soaring in regards to uh, the college football playoff rankings. Well, I mean, obviously you talked about Michigan State. I mean, their 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 stock is sliding, but their their chance to get in the playoff are obviously pretty much null and void. So you got to say Wisconsin at this point. It's holding steady. You know, in the top ten, we uh, we discussed uh, the various scenarios that uh, that need to unfold for them to get in the playoffs. So. So they're not really the team, I think, in, in the conference, like Mike said, too, that's carrying the banner, the Big Ten's hopes for uh, for getting in the playoff. Because um, as we've seen the first three years of the playoff, right, no two-loss team has ever made the playoff. Uh, that precedent, precedent has not yet been set. So, again, if the Badgers, you know, stumble down the stretch, I think we can all agree there's no way a one-loss, you know, champ from the Big Ten like Wisconsin would get in, probably with their resume. And we know Michigan State and Ohio State have two losses, and like I said, I never before has a two-loss team gotten in. So the Badgers are the one team, I think, uh, whose stock is rising as far as that college football playoff pull goals. And, can you, I mean, you think about it, it's crazy that Michigan State has jumped both Penn State and Ohio State in that poll. They're all the way at number 12, Ohio State 13, Penn State 14. So, I, I mean, no one imagined that coming into the season. Um, Mike, we're going to open it up to a national scale. Uh, whose stock is soaring? Who, who's in good shape in uh, the national picture as far as the college football playoff rankings go? And uh, after that, give me one team who is who is sliding. Well, I, I'm intrigued by Miami. Um, they can really 
make more noise this week. Again, they, they hammered Virginia Tech last week. They moved up to number seven. They have Notre Dame this week. Notre Dame's at three. Playing in Miami, there'll be a rare sold-out crowd uh, for a Hurricanes game. Um, and Miami, if, if they... Miami is going to play Clemson in the ACC championship game. So if Miami can beat Notre Dame and Clemson, Miami's in the playoff. Now, I don't think they win either one. But this is Mark Rick's second year. He's got a first-year starting quarterback. He lost his best offensive player, frankly, maybe his best player, Mark Walton, the running back, to, to an injury three weeks ago. This is an interesting team. Um, I, I don't think they're making the playoff. But, again, I think this is a team to keep an eye on because, if nothing else, they have a legit chance to get in. I think the sliding teams, obviously, nationally, Ohio State, Penn State, and Oklahoma State blew any chance it had. The weird thing in the Big 12, I don't know if Tom agrees, I thought that they were smart not to have a conference championship game. They were the only league that played a complete round mm-hmm. robin. They're the only league that said, hey, we have a true champion. Uh, and I think, frankly, it would be sort of uh, karma if Oklahoma, for instance, this week beats TCU, uh, and then loses to TCU in the Big 12 championship game. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma has a chance to make the field right now. Um, but, again, I, I don't understand why the Big 12 decided they needed uh, a Big 12 championship game. Uh, I think Oklahoma TCU loser this week is out of the picture, obviously, but they can play spoiler. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma and TCU, to me, are pretty evenly matched teams. And if they play twice, I can see each team splitting, which would mean the lo- the loser – Saturday could end up ruining the other team's season in the Big 12 championship game. Hey, Mike, real quick, I'd love to hear your thoughts on a on a team that's lurking in the weeds as a couple huge games coming up. Um, Auburn, um, oldest rivalry in the South this weekend against Georgia. And then they got yeah, the this, Iron Bowl. I mean, could, yeah. this, could this team win? The, I mean, it's got two losses already, but talk about Auburn a little bit. Yeah, Auburn should not have lost to LSU. Um, Losing at Clemson early in the season, nothing wrong with that. Losing at LSU, especially in the manner in which they did, that, that's not good. Um, Gus Malzahn, ton of heat. Um, Auburn, you know, Auburn's going to have a new AD, yet they could still fire their coach. That's how messed up things get at Auburn on an annual basis. This is a team that runs the ball extremely well, extremely physical on both sides of the ball, um, and, and frankly, Jared Stidham is a better passer than Jalen Hurts, and he's a better passer than Jake Fromm. Um, let's see if Auburn can run the ball against Georgia. I don't think they're going to be that effective, which means it comes down to Stidham. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure he has the intestinal fortitude. I'll put, be nice and put it that way to get it done in a big game. We're going to find out. Auburn defensively, I'm not a huge Kevin Steele fan as defensive coordinator. He's doing a really good job. Um, that is a nasty group. Uh, very aggressive, very fast. Not as good as Georgia's group, but uh, Auburn's got Georgia coming in and Alabama coming in. Um, and again, there is an inordinate amount of pressure on Gus Malzahn. If Gus Malzahn finishes eight and four, I don't think he's back. Yeah, and I was watching the the playoff show, the ranking show last night, and I think it was Joey Galloway that said that a two loss Auburn team has a better path, a clearer path to the playoff than Wisconsin at unbeaten. I, I don't buy that. You know, I don't think that a clearer path constitutes beating Alabama and beating Georgia because I don't think it's going to happen. So I, I don't know, you know, if, if he meant it a different way, but I don't see it happening. So while we're on the subject of Wisconsin, um, Tom, do you think the Badgers are properly ranked at number eight? I know some people point to Alabama and their soft schedule as, as a indicator that maybe 
the p- committee is not weighing teams evenly when it comes to schedules and, it, and is favoring one over the other. What do you think? Do you think Wisconsin is uh, okay at number eight right now, and then if they just win, things will take care of themselves? I think they are, and uh, you're exactly right, Alex. Uh, there's plenty of meat left on their on the bone in their schedule to, to really enhance their, their ranking here down the stretch. We've discussed that beginning this week, obviously, with Iowa. And then Michigan comes in, they'll probably be 8-2 and two, uh, in a couple of weeks when they arrive in Madison. And, of course, the Big Ten title game, probably a 10-2 and two Michigan State or Ohio State team. Yeah, I mean, you look at what Wisconsin's done so far, guys. I mean, what's been impressive, um, you know, BYU's abysmal. Typically, most years when you go to Provo and you beat BYU, it's a good thing. Well, this year, again, the Cougars have one of the worst teams in, in a generation. So there's no good non-conference win. Then you look at the conference schedule for the Badgers. You know who the best win is? I think it's Northwestern. That's the only team they beat that's currently ranked in that college football playoff poll. So, yeah, you can see why maybe the committee's got them down in the top ten where they are right now. But, again, there's plenty of time left for the Badgers, and there's plenty of opportunity left on that schedule for them to climb up there. And plus, guys, we know there's going to be chaos above them. As Mike talked about, this Saturday, several teams ranked above the Badgers are going to lose. Yeah, Joel Klatt, uh, Fox, was on our air last week, and he defended the Badgers kind of in this whole context and kind of told, you know, everyone worrying about them and and kind of indirectly told the committee to get over it. You know, this is how Wisconsin wins. They win ugly. They grind you out. You know, they might not put much distance, uh, you know, in the in the box score, but they get it done. So, Mike, my question to you is, do you think Wisconsin can succeed winning ugly, winning that way, going through the rest of the Big Ten schedule, including Indianapolis? And then do you think that style of play also stands a chance if they were to run into a Alabama or Georgia in the in the college football playoff? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to be 12-0 when they go to Indianapolis. The question is who's on the other side. Again, I think Ohio State has more – and Penn State have more talent than Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin, though, yes, they win ugly, but – Alabama wins ugly at times. Georgia wins ugly at times. Good teams win ugly at times. Um, mm. I think if you, on a neutral field, Georgia-Alabama would be a 7-10-point favorite over the Badgers. Uh, I think both those teams have more speed. Uh, I'm not sure either one's more physical than Wisconsin, though. Um, I'm still not a believer in Hornibrook. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he can make a play if he has to in a big game. Obviously, Wisconsin's all about the run. But, you know, some, so is Alabama and so is Georgia. So all three of those teams are unbeaten. They're the only uh, – well, they, they, Miami, obviously, is the power five unbeaten. But Georgia, Alabama, and Wisconsin all want to win the same way. They want to bludgeon you with the running game, and they want to shut down your run and make you throw the ball. So I think in some respects – and this is from a guy who works for an SEC-centric website – Wisconsin – is treated a little bit differently than Georgia and Alabama. Now, Georgia has the big win over Notre Dame, but Alabama's best win, it's LSU. LSU is not very good. Uh, that said, Wisconsin's best win is Northwestern, and Northwestern isn't that good either. But I, I think Alabama is getting a little bit more credit than they deserve. Um, with, but Tom's right. Wisconsin next week, as long as they beat Iowa on Saturday, they're going to be at least six in the poll next week because Oklahoma plays TCU and Miami plays Notre Dame. So there's going to be losers in each of those games falling below Wisconsin. So Wisconsin's in um, pretty good shape, I think, for the long haul. Again, I'm not sure they beat the East Division champ, though, in Indianapolis. Yeah, and to play devil's advocate there, I mean, Alabama, if you're comparing Wisconsin and Alabama, sure they don't have great wins, but Alabama mostly has been 
kicking the crap out of teams, and Wisconsin right. has ha, has been squeaking by some some uh, inferior competition. So yeah, and Hoke, you know, Hoke, yeah, Hokut even admitted that last night in the uh, teleconference about the CFP. You, you looked at what. Miami did against Virginia Tech. You look at Wisconsin did against Indiana. Wisconsin played one good quarter of football and pulled away. Miami mm-hmm. played four good quarters to go and to remain unbeaten. And so that's something that has come up, obviously, in the CFP meeting room. Yep. So uh, a little more CFP talk. You know, the Big Ten doesn't have anyone inside the top seven, but they do have six uh, top 25 teams, which speaks to the top-to-bottom strength, I suppose, of the, of the conference. And uh, Iowa and Northwestern made their debuts this week. Michigan, however, was not one of the teams that, that snuck in. They have a pretty good resume. And, you know, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I know some fans yesterday when we were putting all the uh, polls out on social media, uh, Michigan fans were upset that they were not in the top 25. So, you know, they had a impressive performance from their running backs this past weekend. Uh, Higdon and Evans just went off. Um, Tom, do you think Michigan deserves to be ranked maybe over Northwestern who has three losses? Absolutely not. I mean, who you're talking about resumes. I'm trying to figure out who's Michigan beating. Are they still holding up the win over Florida as a marquee win? For crying that, out loud. That ain't a marquee win. I mean, That's not a marquee win. <laughs> here, here you go, guys. Florida, Cincinnati, Air Force, Purdue. Got beat by Michigan State in Ann Arbor. Indiana. Got clubbed at Penn State. Rutgers. And then they beat Minnesota. So uh, I, I don't think I need to say anything more uh, I'm not saying Northwestern's got a rule beater resume, but still, um, you know, I don't think Michigan deserves to be in the top 25 at this point. Go to Madison in a couple weeks, beat the Badgers, and get back in touch with me. Yeah, um, Mike, Northwestern with the uh, three overtime wins in a row. That's that's history. That's something we've never seen before. And it's always it's always weird with Northwestern, it seems like. And, and I'm kind of stealing this uh, philosophy from Dan Bernstein, who's on the radio waves here in Chicago, and he was talking about how with Northwestern, it always looks a little weird, it's always off, and somehow, you know, you just know they're going to have eight wins, nine wins at the end of the season, despite losing to somebody they absolutely have no business losing to in September, so, you know, how did, how does Northwestern, first of all, win weird, I guess, every week like they have, and how unique is the, like, have you ever seen, obviously this has never happened before, the three overtime wins, but um, is there anyone you can even compare Northwestern to, like, on a national scale? No, that's that's you, you win three overtime games. I don't care if you're playing in the MAC Sun Belt or if you're in the Big Ten or SEC. That that's impressive. And I can remember talking to Tom before the season and asking him, "Hey, is it crazy to think Northwestern should be considered a legit Big Ten West contender?" And he said, "No, because they got a lot of guys coming back." And I was extremely impressed with what they had coming back. And then lose to Duke in week two, and I'm like, my God, I was way off on these guys. And it wasn't even close. Either. Right, and they got crushed. And Duke's not even going. I don't think Duke's going to qualify for a bowl. That's how bad Duke has become. But then you look mm-hmm. at, at Northwestern now. They're six and three. You look at who they have left. You're like, my God, they should finish nine and three. Uh, <laughs> and if you could take the Duke game back, they're ten and two. And again, I think if they played Duke now, they'd beat them. Um, now they weren't in the game against Penn State. They gave Wisconsin, uh, I would argue, two good quarters of football. Um, but this is, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, boy, everyone loves Pat Fitzgerald. I, he's obviously a super guy. I don't think he's an elite coach. Uh, you wonder if he's going to make some staff changes because I think this team should have been a little bit better. They should not have lost by 24 to Penn State. Um, should have beaten Duke. 
Um, and I don't know if they should have gone. They're a lot better than Nebraska. They had to go to OT to beat them. But again, I think they're going to they're going to be nine and three when bowl bids go out. And when you win nine games at Northwestern, that that's a big deal. Uh, but again, I think man, I, that, I think the Northwestern Duke game is going to go down as one of the ten most mystifying outcomes of the entire season. Yeah, they're yeah, hard program to figure out. I tell you, Mike Fitzgerald is very very loyal to this staff. Um, they've been crying for him to make changes. For years, he stands by Mick McCall, the offensive coordinator, Mike Hankwitz, the defensive coordinator. That staff has been together for years. So sometimes it's nice to get a breath of fresh air in, in the meeting room. But, again, Fitz is, like I said, the, the ultra-lord of those guys. And there's, there's evidence of that. Um, but sometimes things can be a little bit stale. And uh, who knows, maybe if you shake things up, you can take the program up a notch or two. But that's, that's always a gamble, too. Yeah, and, guys, before we uh... – before we move on to um, the week 11, what lies ahead, uh, I just want to ask one more question kind of in the context of the college football playoff. With all the teams beating up on each other in the East Division in Wisconsin year after year just kind of sailing to Indy, uh, we'll start with you, Tom, on this. Do you, do you think the Big Ten needs to rethink how their divisions are structured? You know, uh, it'd be nice if there was more competitive balance, but I guess I like the geographic demographic there up. As far as the divisional split goes, the leaders and legends, um, sort of like the ACC guys, uh, I still can't tell you who's in which division. I think a lot of people had that problem with leaders and legends. They tried to do it. That was from a competitive uh, distribution, but fans didn't like it. So, uh, you know what? I think it is what it is. Uh, there's always going to be that imbalance. It certainly will help if uh, the Nebraska program can get on track here to give the West at least another marquee team over there. So, We'll see, but I guess at this point I, I can live with it just because I do like the uh, the geographic dimension. But I, I think you should play the schools you're close to more often. That really fosters rivalries. Yeah, Mike, do you think this is something that like works itself out just over time? It's just a competitive time right now in the East, or, or do you think this is something that could uh, you know cost the league in the long run uh, year after year with, with teams knocking themselves out midseason? Yeah, I think it's hurting the East this year because I don't think there's any doubt that the Big Ten East is much stronger than the Big Ten West. Um, the SEC, East and West, it's a tremendous imbalance now. People forget in the 90s, all the power was in the East. And mm-hmm. from between 2000 and 2009, it was pretty evenly split. So I think the, the SEC has proven cyclical. I think the Pac-12 North and South are pretty evenly matched. I think the ACC now with Miami look to be on the true rebound. The Coastal and the Atlantic are pretty even. But the Big Ten, yeah, unless... Nebraska returns to what it used to be, or unless Illinois gets better, um, unless Iowa can be more consistent. Um, the Big Ten East, frankly, if you have Ohio, Michigan, and Penn State, if all those teams are doing what they should, the East is always going to be better than the than the West. So I would argue that the Big Ten has the biggest um, imbalance among the Power Fives that have divisions. Um, and right, yeah, right now. My goodness, it's gigantic because you take Wisconsin away, and the Big Who's scared to play anybody in the Big Ten West? And I know I would just beat Ohio State like a drum, but to, that's, Nebraska really needs. So, like Miami, the ACC counted on Miami getting a lot better, and it's taken forever. But Miami finally seems to get there. Maybe this next Nebraska coach, presuming they fire uh, Riley, maybe that next Nebraska coach can get the Huskers back, but until Nebraska's back, boy, the Big Ten's going to have a gigantic imbalance. 
Yeah, it's nice for Wisconsin fans at least. You know, they can That's true. That's do, true. do their they can do their travel they can book their travel plans in August pretty yeah. much, you know. <laughs> um all right, so let's move on to week eleven now. Uh Mike, for good reason you mentioned how excited you were for these upcoming games. I mean, for good reason, like I said, there's three top ten matchups in, in the college football playoff poll. That's insane. And there's some good matchups in the Big Ten as well. We got um, number 12, Michigan State, taking on number 13, Ohio State. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's pretty wild that Michigan State's the higher-ranked team in that matchup. And we got Iowa going to Madison, where BTN tailgate will be this weekend as well. Um, so, Tom, do you think this weekend that Iowa and Michigan State have the magic again, or do you think it's, uh, you know, that that the teams with more talent, which I think Ohio State and Wisconsin have, will win out in this one? Yeah, I think um, I think the home teams will, will take care of business here. I mean, no disrespect to Michigan State, but Ohio State's cornered right now. I mean, I think we all know they were embarrassed last week. Um, they know uh, their playoff dreams are probably toast. They know if they lose to Michigan State, their Big Ten title dreams are toast. And again, I think uh, there's a sense of aspiration, there's a sense of pride where they're going to find a way. It may not be pretty, but they're going to find a way stop that Spartan Express at this point. And then over in Madison, guys, again, Wisconsin's heard all the talk. They heard all the disrespect. They just saw Iowa manhandle Ohio State. So we know their antenna is going to be high. They're going to be ready. So I think both those home teams hold service this weekend. It'll tell us a lot, I think, about Wisconsin just because, you know, Iowa's coming in. You don't really know what you're going to get from Iowa. I mean, at home, you know you'll get a good effort. But like we talked about earlier, after that Penn State game, they look uh, – pretty weak until the Ohio State game when when, when uh, everything you know kind of came full circle for them and they, they took it to, to the Buckeyes. So it'll be interesting to see how Wisconsin responds, like you said, to the negativity and see if they can you know beat a good team handily and play four quarters and not just wake up in the second half and, and remind themselves, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be winning here. And um, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun scene. Madison's always great. And BTN Tailgate Show, like I said, will be there as well. Mike, let's get to the uh, three top ten matchups, and we'll start with TCU and Oklahoma. I know you, you brought them up earlier as a potential rematch in the Big 12 title game, but do you think Baker Mayfield keeps it up? Do you think he's, uh, his Heisman train keeps on rolling, or do you think the Horned Frogs can uh, stay alive in the college football playoff race? Yeah, I think these teams are evenly matched. Oklahoma's got the better offense. TCU's got the better defense. If it comes down to quarterback, Oklahoma's a gigantic advantage. You know what you're going to get from Baker Mayfield good play. You don't know what you're going to get from Kenny Hill. Um, Kenny Hill could look phenomenal for one series and then look abysmal the next series. So uh, I think playing in Norman's a big deal for, for Oklahoma as well. Now, obviously a much tougher uh, trek here for Oklahoma. They played Oklahoma State last week, and now they got TCU. TCU had Texas last week. Texas is not that good. Uh, so from a, from a battle-tested standpoint. This is two tough games in a row for Oklahoma, but I still think Oklahoma is a better team. I think Oklahoma wins. All right, how about uh, let's go to SEC country where you are. Georgia and Auburn, what do you, what do you, what do you like there? I mean, Georgia, it's crazy to me the number one team because I always, I still think that Alabama is always the number one team by default, just like that, that's just in my head when I see Georgia as number one, it throws me off. But um, one, what, what makes Georgia so good and do you think um, – you know, do you think they'll stay unbeaten against a two-loss Auburn team? Yeah, this is like Georgia is like Alabama Jr. Uh, Kirby Smart does everything exactly the same way. Uh, Saban doesn't let his assistants talk, only makes certain players available, wins with defense. I mean, that 
that defense, you watch Georgia play, that, that is a nasty group. Um, this reminds me of the old Florida State defenses, you know, playing to the echo of the whistle. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, they're not dirty, but they're nasty. They, they look – and it, you watch Georgia play, they swarm to the ball, and they try to knock the snot out of you. So um, Auburn, physical as well, playing at home. Uh, a lot of pressure on Gus Malzahn. Uh, before the season, I was convinced that Auburn was a 10 or 11 win team uh, and that they would win this game by two touchdowns. Now, uh, I, I think Georgia's a better team. Uh, I think Georgia wins. And I think, again, the pressure increases even more on Malzahn. Georgia, really good running backs, Chubb, Sonny Michelle, DeAndre Swift, a freshman from Philadelphia. How they got him out of there, I have no idea. Um, really good offensive line, tremendous defensive front seven. Georgia's got the best front seven in the SEC, uh, and, and that's interesting to say that, but I, I think Georgia beats Auburn. Yeah, in terms of the, the Big Ten, just uh, zooming out, if for their for their hopes to get one team in the playoff, which is Wisconsin, you've got to hope that Auburn splits these yeah. next two games yeah, if, with if, Georgia and Alabama, Yeah, right? if you're a Big Ten fan, I don't care who you pull for, if you want a Big Ten team in the playoff, you want you want Auburn to win, and you want Mississippi State to somehow miraculously beat uh, Alabama and get the cowbells going. That That's not going to happen. <laughs> Far better chance for Auburn to beat Georgia. All right, so now we will uh, turn to the third top ten matchup this weekend, and that's the old Catholics and Convicts reboot here. It's Notre Dame and Miami down, in, uh, down at the U. So, Mike, if you could uh, – Kind of contrast or compare those those two teams, their styles, and also touch on a little bit. You know, like I said, the reboot of of a '80s rivalry that that you know we, we look back on now in thirty for thirty. Yeah, it's almost thirty years ago, and that, that's sort of had. And but Miami has not been relevant for ten years or so, at least. Actually, more like fifteen. Um, but Rick has done a phenomenal job. Again, they lost their best player, Mark Walton, a thousand yard rusher, gone for the season. Uh, first year starting quarterback. Um, a really fast and aggressive defense. I know Tom is a big fan of Manny Diaz, the Miami <laughs> defensive coordinator. If you watch Miami play, that defense, they fly around, they blitz, they blitz from everywhere. It, it's a fun defense to watch. The, the key guy to me is Josh Adams. He did not run well against Georgia. And, oh, look, Notre Dame lost. Uh, he did not play a whole game last week. He's banged up evidently against Wake. They didn't need him. They're going to need him to be at his best Against, uh, against Miami, and this is a game, given the state of the Heisman race, Josh Adams has a big game, boy, he zooms up near the top. So um, I think Notre Dame is more well-rounded. Um, they're going to have a lot of fans in the stands because everybody knows there's a lot of uh, Irish Subway alums. And they'll be there in mm-hmm. Miami. Um, and this Miami team, again, without Walton, I know Travis Homer played well last week against Virginia Tech. Notre Dame is better, uh, and I think Notre Dame goes to Miami wins the game, and solidifies itself as a legit, not only playoff team, but a legit national title contender. Yeah, so even though the the biggest games this week are outside the Big Ten, you know, there's still going to be a ton of intrigue with Big Ten eyes watching because that's that's where the shuffling is going to happen. There's going to be some top ten teams going down just by default. Um, guys, before we wrap up, something we, know, we do every week, as Tom knows, uh, is we identify one big moment from the last weekend in college football that's something unique or cool that we've seen lately in college football that uh, that we'd like to share. So I'll start, and I'll start with one that kind of stays on subject here with Miami. And I'd seen this earlier in the season, but 
I hadn't actually seen a picture of it, so I'd heard about it. And that's the turnover chain at Miami. With the, it's the big, like you know, blinged out chain that uh, the defenders get if, if they force a turnover, and it's awesome. And it's so Miami, <laughs> and it just fits that program and that image. And I just love the turnover chain. I wish every team had one, but uh, <laughs> only Miami can do it best. So that's my, uh, I guess you, you can call it a moment. It's my big thing of the week. <laughs> Tom, I'll throw it over to you. What do you got from uh, the past week? I mean, you can open up to two weeks since we didn't have you on last week. What do you got? You don't think they'd have a turnover chain at Northwestern? <laughs> doesn't fit the program as much as Miami. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to go with the Pac-12, guys. Um, I'm going uh, to update myself. He's probably on this Billy White Chiefs Johnson, right? Yeah, how about Washington? Dante Pettis, nine punt returns for a touchdown in his career. Uh, the son of Gary Pettis. Again, I'm dating myself with that. The old California Angels outfielder. So I'm always love special teams. And anytime you can impact the game at that level with that many returns for a touchdown, it's special. Uh, again, I, I remember doing a story ten or twelve years ago on the most exciting play in college football is the punt. I mean, it sounded kind of like, how can how could you say that? But, again, how does the ball, you know, travel that far in a football game? And that much open field is available. So, again, Pettis really showed how impactful you can be uh, by being uh, one of the best returning in college football history. All right, Mike, how about you? You got anything uh, anything cool you saw recently in college football that you you want to, uh, want to lay on us here? going back to Pettis, Gary Pettis is the third-base coach of the Astros. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Good week for the Pettis family. I'm going to go to Army. Wow. Army beats Air Force 21 nothing. Army's sitting there yeah. at 7-2. Um, Army, no, given the injuries at, at Navy, I think Army will beat Navy for the second year in a row. Army hmm. could be a 10-win team. Um, and it's been so long since people cared about Army other than to make fun of them on the football field. But Jeff Monken is a really good coach. Uh, and, you know, everybody gives credit to Coach Ken at, at Navy, uh, Troy Calhoun at Air Force. Uh, Jeff Monkham's doing a phenomenal job at Army. And, again, Army could be a 10-win team uh, when this season ends. And that's, that, that's incredible for Army. Hey, real quick, yeah, hey, hey, stuff, hey, guys. Real quick I want to ask you one last question. Mike, give me your Heisman top three right now. Yeah, I got Mayfield number one, Bryce Love second, and Khalil Tate, the Arizona quarterback, third. I know Arizona lost last week, and, and Tate threw two picks and only completed 40% of his passes. But he also, they, they were down by 22. They scored on three consecutive possessions to tie USC, and it was all because of Tate. The dude is electrifying with the ball in his hands. Uh, and it makes you sort of wonder what Rich Rod was thinking having this guy as his backup quarterback. This guy wouldn't even be playing if the starting quarterback, Brandon Dawkins, hadn't gotten hurt. Um, Mike, Tom didn't tell you you had to uh, – Tom didn't tell you you had to have a Big Ten player in your top three Heisman <laughs> in order to come on the podcast? Oh, no, he did not. That I, message now, didn't get through? Oh, okay. The week before, I had Barkley and Barrett, but I took them both yeah. out because uh, for those for that one, each last week did not play well. And I think I read a stat on Barkley uh, in his last eight quarters, he's finished with zero or negative yards. Yeah, that's not he's got. He, you know, he, he, he's ran for 100 yards one time the last five games. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guy, he's another guy who's electrifying with a ball on his hands. But you, uh, the, you know, the Heisman, I vote, and I know Tom votes, and it's a big deal. It's also the most overblown award in all, in all of sports because if you don't play for a good team, an elite program, you got no chance of winning it. 
it's hard. Well, you know, we saw the Louisville quarterback do it last year, obviously, in Jackson, but not not a real compelling race, I think, for the second year in a row, honestly. From my yeah, you're right. Jackson last year was a no-brainer, and right now Mayfield is. So Mayfield could maybe spit the bid against TCU and make things uh, really interesting. Although Deshaun Watson should have won it last year, but that's yeah, another story. Well, that's a good, yeah, but Jackson's stats were... And the Bears should have drafted yeah, him. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> for sure. And maybe he'd be healthy. It wouldn't have gotten hurt. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Um, and one more, one more thing, I want to give a shout out. Uh, one because it's cool, and two because it's kind of funny. Uh, in the context of the big moment of the week, um, we seem to talk about the Iowa Children's Hospital wave tradition a lot for good reason on this show. You know, it's it's it could be every week. It could be the 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 moment. Um, so there's another wrinkle to it this past weekend with one of the patients, one of the kids in the hospital, told the ESPN broadcast team. Like I think he requested a fake field goal through the broadcast team, and the kid's dad said, "Hey, I mean, all right, but you know who the coach is, right?" And then, <laughs> so saying Ferentz wouldn't do it, and then what does Iowa do? They go out and do that fake punt play, whatever they call it, um, and it went for a touchdown. Did it go for a touchdown, no, or no. it went down we to the, the it, down to the goal yeah, line though, right? Line. Yep. Yeah, but still, that I mean, that was awesome to see, and you can kind of tie it into the Iowa Children's Hospital there, so. Definitely had to give a shout out, and uh, I love the dad's comment that that uh, Kirk would never do it. He, he, Kirk's opened the playbook this year, though. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we will end on that note. Uh, appreciate it, Mike, for coming on. Tom, I appreciate it as always. A lot of good stuff. And Mike, like you said, it's a lot of fun this time of year. I've had a blast watching, and uh, we'll continue to look for your coverage on GridironNow.com. Sure you guys so have me on. I'm the heck out of it. Thanks for. Hey, thanks, Mike. You did a great job as always, buddy. Stay in touch. All right, talk to you guys later. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Mike and Tom for jumping on. And, you know, after all that discussion about potential outcomes and, you know, who has to beat who, um, it can get confusing. But even if the Big Ten doesn't get a college football playoff berth, there will hopefully at least be some college football playoff implications up until the Big Ten Championship game, assuming Wisconsin doesn't stumble before then. So, you know, uh, if you're rooting for a Big Ten berth, you got to root for Wisconsin to go 12-0 and get to Indy. And we will continue to follow that storyline and a ton of other Big Ten football topics for the rest of the season, no matter what. And to help us do that, we will continue to bring BTN researcher Harold Shelton on the show to break down the numbers behind the games during our weekly stat head segment that we're about to get to in a moment. Right before we do that, just want to issue one final reminder that the Take 10 podcast is giving you the chance to take 10% off your order through the btn.com online store. Just use the coupon code TAKE10. That's capital T-A-K-E, the number one and zero while you shop, and you'll get that discount applied. So now we'll get to it. We'll go behind the numbers with our stat head segment, and we'll welcome in Harold Shelton. All right, we're back once again with our resident researcher, Harold Shelton. H, uh, crazy weekend in, in college football once again. Um, you know, we were sitting in here a week ago saying how Ohio State's sitting pretty, and all of a sudden Big Ten kind of had the rug pulled out from under them. So uh, first of all, congrats to your Spartans, and, um, you know, you got to probably be feeling pretty good now after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rebuild is <laughs> so much further ahead of schedule than I ever thought it would be. Uh, the fact that they got a chance to win the East 
uh, with three weeks left in the season is crazy. I wouldn't have believed it if you told me that before the season started. Yeah, so we're recording this on Wednesday, as I said at the top of the show, you know, to kind of let the college football playoff polls marinate a little bit, and that way we can get to them. That's why we have you here because you know you got all the uh, inside stats regarding the polls, and we'll get to to the polls in just a minute. But but first, let's break down what we saw this past weekend. Um, first of all, your Spartans took down Penn State, and, and I want to touch on Penn State a little bit before we expand on, on Michigan State because. Penn State's lost two games by a total of four points. Um, you know, when, when people look back at the season, what are they going to be able to point to as to why Penn State isn't cruising to an undefeated or one-loss one loss, uh, record in a bowl, uh, playoff bowl berth? Uh, it's kind of what we talked about last week. You know, Penn State can't run it when they want to run it, and a lot of it is because of the offensive line. Um, you know, they were missing one of their starters last week against Michigan State. That was banged up in the Ohio State game. Um, you know, they've had leads in the fourth quarter in both of those games. Uh, if they win both of them, I mean, they're probably sitting at two or three right now, probably behind Georgia at 9-0. and But, you know, they just couldn't put the games away. They had leads. They couldn't run the ball to kill a clock and get the first downs when they needed to. Um, you know, I think last year they were kind of ahead of schedule, and I think that upped everybody's expectations. Um, but the reality is they have a lot of skilled players. They have a, a really good team, but that offensive line just isn't quite like national championship level yet. Saquon Barkley can't run. I mean, what, no, his I last mean, few games, how many yards did he have, uh, I guess, combined in, on the ground in Ohio State and Penn State in these two losses? I mean, he had, I want to say, what, 63 against Michigan State and then 44 against Ohio State. And each time it's just been one run, you know, where he's run for 30-plus. And other than that, it's been, you know, negative yards, one yard, two yard. You know, he's special, but it's hard to do anything when you got two or three guys coming right at you as soon as you get the ball. Yeah, for a guy we crowned as the Heisman favorite and some of us even the winner, I'm a little guilty of getting ahead of myself. But, like, week five, week six, now, you know, he's he's behind several guys at, at this point. So let's, uh, let's move it on over to the Iowa-Ohio State game, which – you know, first of all, no one really saw it coming. I mean, Iowa could win, sure, but no one saw a 31-point win. So just in historic uh, terms here, how rare was an Iowa win, especially considering who it came against, a coach that almost never loses, Urban Meyer? Yeah, th- there's so many layers to this. I mean, Ohio State was the most points they had allowed since 1994 in any game. It's the most Urban Meyer – has ever allowed in any game. Iowa is just the same team that scored 17 points against Minnesota, 10 against Northwestern, 10 against Michigan State. I mean, there's no way that you saw this coming. You know, 19 against Penn State. And then all of a sudden, they drop 55 on a very talented, te- uh, very talented defense. They had never scored more than 35 against Ohio State. So, I mean, this was just completely out of left field, but Brian Ferentz and, and company called a great game. Nate Stanley showed why, you know, he won the job in the summer. 22 touchdowns to four picks on the year. I mean, they've got a very, very bright future with him. And, you know, I was riding high, and Wisconsin better watch out. Yeah, so, you know, the results of those two games, obviously, were the Big Ten college football playoff chances took a huge hit. Um, Wisconsin's really the only team with a realistic outlook now to be one of those top four teams. So 
you know, I know you, you said before we we started recording here that Iowa or that I'm sorry, Wisconsin fans can kind of relax and just let it all play out because there's going to be a lot of chaos. But let's get into the uh, college football rankings that came out uh, last night. Let's go into them a little deeper. Your Spartans had quite the jump, didn't they? Yeah, I, I, I was surprised to see him go up 12 spots. I mean, it was definitely a very good win over a really good team. You know, by three at home, last second field goal. I didn't think that would be enough to jump them up 12 spots. But then again, not everything is in a vacuum. A lot of stuff happened around them. Um, and just judged off of what the committee's rankings look like, they said, hey, you beat number 14, you beat number 20. Your only losses are to the team is number three and a triple OT loss at, you know, number 25. So they look at your resume. You got a top 10 schedule. You're 7-2 and two with some good wins. And, you know, I guess they figured they had to put them ahead of Penn State since they beat them head-to-head. And I guess they put them ahead of Ohio State considering that they beat Iowa and Iowa beat Ohio State. Yeah, so Ohio State's at number 13, Penn State's at 14. Iowa jumped to number 20 and Northwestern at number 25 after their third straight overtime win, which was uh, a FBS record. First time that's happened, so that's pretty amazing. Um, and then Wisconsin at number eight. They're the highest-ranked big, Big Ten team. And I guess if assuming Wisconsin wins this weekend, and it's no small task against Iowa, but assuming they win, it's a top-20 win uh, over a Hawkeye team, if they can pull it out. And with all the top-ten matchups that are taking place outside of the Big Ten in the college football playoff rankings, how do you see, or how big of a jump do you think Wisconsin could potentially take? Like, what's their ceiling sitting here next week uh, once the next round of rankings come out? Uh, I think if they won, they would be no lower than six because you see third ranked Notre Dame plays seventh yep. ranked Miami, fifth ranked Oklahoma plays sixth ranked TCU. Mm-hmm. You figure the losers of those games would go behind Wisconsin. Um, and then, you know, if Auburn were to upset Georgia, you know, who knows there. Right. Uh, you know, there's just there's a lot of really good games this weekend. Um, the fact that Wisconsin is going to start adding uh, strength to their resume with Iowa this week, if Northwestern continues to win, that will keep them with a, uh, with a ranked win. Michigan might sneak in, too. Michigan might sneak yeah. in at this point next week. If they're 8-2, that would be another potential ranked opponent that they would play. Um, you know, I know I'm kind of looking ahead here, but they play a two-loss team out of the East, which is probably another top-10 team. I think Wisconsin right now is fine at eight. Um, That's kind of where I thought they would be. I figured Miami would jump them. But I think there's a lot of football left. I would be very, very, very surprised if a 13-0 Big Ten champion got left out. Yeah, not a, it wouldn't be a lot of happy campers in Rosemont if that happened. So, no. Uh, <laughs> We'll keep an eye on it. You know, like like you said, a lot of games this weekend with big time implications. And uh, you know, I guess let's go Badgers if you're rooting for a uh, Big Ten team in one of those college football playoff uh, one of those four spots. So yeah, I'll definitely say all of the well, I won't say all, but 99 percent of the eggs for the college football <laughs> playoff from the Big Ten are in that Wisconsin basket, right? You know now. better than to than to completely write off the odds of, of an East team, but exactly. But we'll see what happens. Uh, H, thanks for joining me. As always, a lot of good stuff once again. And I'll see you right back here, same spot next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me.
Thanks again to Harold, Tom, and Mike for contributing to the show. And before we wrap up, just a heads up that we are going to be doing more College Hoops episodes going forward as well with college basketball starting up. We have uh, Andy Katz on a college basketball tip-off episode that is coming out at the end of this week. So that's really cool. Also, we had a fun chat with a uh, play-by-play announcer for many sports and many high-profile sports, Brian Anderson. That episode came out earlier this week. So that was just a general discussion about his career and got some baseball talking in as well since he just got off calling the NLCS. So be sure to check that out on the Take 10 podcast, uh, either iTunes page, SoundCloud, wherever you wherever you listen, check those out as well. So wrapping up, thanks for everyone to listening. Thanks, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks as always to Wes White for producing. And we will talk to you next time here on the Take 10 podcast.